Hello, everybody, and welcome to Lost Explorers. My name is J. David Osborne. That is Chris Sacknessum. Chris, how are you doing this evening? David, you know pretty well. It's been a really uh, crazy time. Um, my ensemble and I played a major gig to Black royalty in gated community Summerlin. We're sort of talking a little bit on the edge of the Floyd May, you know, Mayweather sort of type people. I don't want to mention precise names, but um, I will say that an hour of playing that music was worth what a month of teaching at UNLV is. And that's for me. And that's something. Uh, and it was, I'd like to think it was a good gig. You know, I think it was. Uh, but it opened my eyes to a lot of things going on. And, of course, the Super Bowl um, is something I want to talk about tonight. I, I I just think that there's so many, you know, things going on with that. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. Well, uh, I went to AWP. You did. You did. And you had some friends with you, too, right? Indeed. I had the Broken River crew. Uh, we brought plenty of books. We ended up selling 334 books while we were there, um, which if you are unfamiliar with the AWP crowd, might surprise you. But if you are familiar with human nature, it won't surprise you at all because people want weird books. That was our Carnival Barker pitch. We yelled at everybody who passed the table you like weird books? And when they stopped for a second and let that sink in, we said, come on, come up, come over here, come over here. And then we pitched my friend, uh, Eddie, Eddie Rathke is a natural salesman. It's what he does for a living. And so I gleaned a bunch of new, uh, sort of sales knowledge from him. And yeah, we were just an, an absolute powerhouse, you know, um, Brian Evanson stopped by to, to chat at the table, which was cool. Good. It's always cool to Good. see Brian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so he should, though. So he should. So he should. So he yeah. should. Came by. A um, couple of folks who worked for Dennis Cooper and his blog stopped by, and one of the guys bought about nine books. So we might see some of those on Dennis Cooper's blog soon. That's pretty cool. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing the biggest takeaway i have these moments where my cynicism the ice of my cynicism is cracked um <laughs> and you know the the zoomers they really vibed with what we were doing and we were just ourselves and you know kelby in particular sort of didn't change the language that he speaks in at all and they rolled with it. They were cool, you know, which again makes me <clears throat> believe, and I think this belief is accurate, that a lot of what we see and that irritates us in terms of how these people speak and the ways in which they act is almost entirely, and I mean that, almost entirely a product of social media and the online matrix sphere. Oh, look, I'll, I'll, I'll support that entirely. I think that's absolutely right. Um, and I think it's also, though, it, it, it comes down to a little bit of leadership from older people that 
if you, you know, if you set the tone, people will, you know, play in, in harmony with you. They were coming into our world yeah. when they did that. They were exiting AWP for a brief moment and coming into the Broken River world. And you could see them loosen up a bit. And there were a few people who came by even who, um, you know, have had sort of things to say about Broken River. And of course, they all have their their masks on. But even those people who weren't uh, necessarily really? uh, ov- yeah, um, overtly positive towards us, um, they weren't as aggressive as they might be online. They're a bit timid. They didn't, it was um, myself, well, Kelby, Eddie, Rios, and Grant. So they didn't, they didn't have much to say in meat space, so to speak. <laughs> um, I'm not surprised. I think but, you've got uh, a pretty good fighting unit there. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really, I mean, well, yeah, but, but yeah. why should they anyway? I mean, it's like, what? I mean, who yeah. are but we most people? I don't want to give the wrong. I don't want to give the wrong impression, though. I mean, literally, ninety plus percent of people were overwhelmingly positive about our tables. If they didn't purchase books, they signed up for our newsletter or looked us up through our QR code. Um, <clears throat> we all it's, left the okay. convention just high. You don't have to. You don't have to do that with me. With me and us, we're all friends. I, I understand what you're saying. It's okay. But okay, so let's look at some bigger numbers. How many people do you think were there? You, you obviously researched that. You you obviously paid for a table. So you know what's the deal? How many? What what what's AWP doing now? Well, last year I know the definitive numbers were thirteen thousand in foot traffic on saturday although way down from the past okay i and i think this was less and i'll tell you why because awp decided to institute a 25 dollars badge fee on saturday for people who just wanted to shop the convention and i think that 25 dollars in this economy in kansas city might have been detrimental to the foot traffic so Mm. i don't think of you know when i went to awp for example in minneapolis 10 years ago saturdays were free you can and and we exploited that to the fullest we used to 10 years ago uh buy one badge and just trade right so i would be wearing david keaton's badge and walk in and then i would give david keaton's badge to somebody else we didn't do that this time, but <clears throat> the foot traffic, I think, from the last time I was at AWP, which I believe was that time in Minneapolis, you can tell it's way down. And it's it's much more people who went to the convention. Um, if they're young, it's because they're MFA students and they got a free badge for putting an hour or two in at their right, MFA's right, table. Right. Um, but in terms of the casual uh, uh, Kansas City resident who is going to visit almost nobody mm. almost nobody so yeah I'd put it you know I'd put it under 10,000 my, my guess would be under 10,000 yeah look I I have a feeling you well I, I my, my intuition says you're right 
you know mm-hmm. i i saw that going that way in the past um yeah. and I, I i think the tide has turned i think there are well there are fewer mfa students and it is an mfa event i mean yeah. the writer's chronicle is no longer connected you know there's a lot of things that are the ponzi scam got people got onto it yeah and, they sure did I think a lot of a lot of people, uh, these MFA students really wanted to talk to us about, you know, how we do our collective model, where everybody is self published, but we all help each other. They were very intrigued by that, because, you know, they, they went into MFA programs on the advice of guidance counselors and people who were using outdated info. And you could see their eyes light up when we said, yeah, you can just do it, you know, if you've got the skill and you've got the um, the kind of bond that we have, you can do it. You can do it yourself. Just mm. find talented artists, find pay. You're going to pay. That's the thing. You're going to pay for your covers. You're going to pay to make sure that your book is edited well. And you're going to pay for that interior design. But other than that, people are catching on to the idea that there's not very much that the small indie press can do for them that they can't do for themselves. Right, right, right. Well, I'm glad you had a good time and you had a good team with you. And I think that's, I think that's maybe the message uh, for for everyone in any field, whether it's the arts or or what have you. Is um, bring your posse, you know, have a posse. You'll have to and, come out to the LA one next year. Oh well, I might, I might. You, it's it's a hop, skip, and a jump from Las Vegas. What is it? Four hours. At, at my driving speed, no, it's much less no, than that. So it's much less than that. <laughs> so you can make it there in a good two forty-five. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, don't tell cool. me. We don't. You know, I haven't had a ticket in a long time. Shh. Yeah, yeah. You got one of those dash, those little beepers, the 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 radar detectors. No, just a lot of guns. Just a lot of guns. <laughs> mounted on the roof yeah um don't stop my car thank you mr officer yeah i all right cool let's get into it um the main part of the show here uh do you have a band and an aphorism for us i have a band and i i think that here's a situation where the title of their album says more about them than the name of the band. The band is just called The Happy Fools. Okay. But their title is Make Your Parents Move Out. And what they're doing is bringing together really hardcore 80s San Francisco barbed wire facial tattoo punk with extreme 1960s, 70s bubblegum. And it they want to create an unlistenable mix for uh, not just the boomers 
challenge those people. The boomers are willing to let things slide a lot, but they really want to push Gen X to the absolute limit. So they have to sell the property and yeah. that's the only escape from them because they're never moving out. They have not only taken over the basement, they've taken over the living room. I mean, it, it's make your parents move out. If there is a generation that does not budge, it's Gen X. That's all I'll say. Well, this is <laughs> this is where the fight is on. So it, it's it's in the driveway, it's in the the kitchen, it's in the bathrooms. It's you know, will you ever grow up? No, no, we will not. And we're going to play this mix of insidious bubblegum music and really intense we are going to cut your throats punk music and you're going to have to move out where do you fall on the generational scale what is your generation oh well i only take my clue from you you you, you told me um you're the only clarity i've ever had on this you said i'm an extreme late late boomer uh, cusp Gen X. There we go. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with myself. Uh, what is your aphorism for us today? It's very simple. And it <clears throat> prefaced with some advice, and I think that it ties in with some other things maybe that that link into Broken River and AWP. You know, there you talked about getting editing of books and, and, and paying. Well, I have to tell you, and I think that a lot of artists across many forms have learned this lesson the hard way. You might have to actually fork out for a lawyer at some point. Mm -hmm. The My aphorism is the name of a song I sold. Uh, it's kind of a, it's totally outside anything I normally do. Uh, and frankly, I think it could have sold for a lot more money uh, than what I sold it for. I'm, you know, I'm a little bit hungry right now. It's winter time. Die yesterday. Mm. That's my aphorism name. But my advice that goes with it is is maybe look at trying to find. Uh, a relationship with some sort of intellectual property lawyer that can look after uh, fledgling uh, emergent people. Um, I don't know if people realize this, but but your the starting rate is about six hundred bucks an hour, um, and that's that's just entry. Not bad. People aren't necessarily good for that level, uh, and that includes all sorts of patents. You know, I mean. It's a wild, weird world. I think what may be a Lost Explorers project is to reach out to someone in that field with some of those credentials who can maybe help a little bit more. We're not asking for freebies or pro bono work. No, 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 understand. But just we need some help with game developers, writers, artists, musicians, and a little bit of protection. I mean, this is a deep theme in popular culture where this is black history month. Uh, I'm, I'm doing that really intensely. 
A lot of black people got ripped off. I mean, it, it's just, we need some help from some people who went to proper medical, you know, le- you know, law schools. We, we really need right. that. Yeah. So, yeah. I agree. Yesterday. I like that. I like that. What is my imaginative challenge for today? Okay. Um, I hope this doesn't freak you out. Uh, but that's tough to do. Oh, well, I thought that too. So we'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the premise is very simple starting point. Uh, you, Rios, and Gus have died in a car accident mm-hmm. on an Oklahoma highway. But you have been rescued by the ancient ones from the deep stars. And you are still alive. And Mm -hmm. they also empowered you with the ability to implant in anyone's mind exactly what you want them to think. If you want Mm -hmm. someone to do the hokey pokey, a big, you know, really evil gangster, he will do the hokey pokey until the end of time. If you want someone to crap their pants, you can do that. You can make anyone do anything you want. The problem is twofold. Gus and Rios are not really, really lost forever. Mm -hmm. Not Mm -hmm. to you anyway. They are in a void that is hard to describe, but you're aware of all the time. Any time that you use your quote-unquote superpower for a malicious end, you send them deeper into the void. And you watch them pixelate in agony or just dysfunction. You can bring them back, perhaps, but you don't know how. But you do know how you can create more conflict for them anytime you abuse your power. Anytime you make someone do something stupid to be humiliated or just to be mean, uh, you really doom the the two people you love the most to a distance that you really don't understand. And so you're trying to navigate that and you have no help from the ancient aliens. You're on your own. Um, But you can, you can do good things. Well, you could basically do a lot. You could do almost anything you want, but you will uh, pay a price for that. One note, this, oh, you know what? I almost started talking, but I will save it when I start talking closer to the end of the show. I thought it, it's kind of a, a strange family Valentine's crisis mode of, you know, teacher wanting to do the right thing, but suddenly having tremendous power to do some really really funky stuff and how many of us wouldn't want to uh i don't know really let loose you know if we had that so i like it it's a good one um all right i know you wanted to talk uh super bowl what are your thoughts on that just 
just a little bit because I think it is such a well it's been you know it would happen in Las Vegas it's something that I think that um from an anthropology point of view which is our the theme of our show we're looking for common ground right and and we don't have that much that is one of the really crucial problems I think of our time is we don't have enough of these um giant spectacles and i think that's really the important aspect of it um i i had a one really um strange thought kind of blew up in my mind uh an hour or so ago because the, of course the ads are are more important than the game everyone knows that the ads get talked about and there was one ad, and as far as I know, and my media analytics say it was only run once, it was for BMW, an electric car, and um, Christopher Walken was the the star of it. And it, it, it's basically a one-gag thing where everyone comes up to him imitating him, you know? And there is only one Christopher Walken, right? That's mm -hmm. the and that ties back into a, a, a link of from our end of year show about one of the major dictionaries. I can't remember if it was Oxford or, or Merriam-Webster, but one of the, the major dictionary um, authorities named authenticity. <laughs> word of 2023. Authentic. Yeah, I remember that. Authentic, yeah. Yeah. And so that's the theme of this ad. And I think it, it, it was so emblematic to me of a couple of things. For one, the imitation that they're doing of this celebrity, and we all know what it sounds like, is really nothing special to him. It's a Brooklyn act. I mean, that's all it is. He's just a wonderful, it's not really fair to make it sound like, oh, we're imitating him. It's a regional American accent and regional accents across America are in steep decline. That's mm. really, really mm -hmm. important to remember. That's very, everything is flattening out now. We're all talking like the Simpsons, you know? A, a, quick, a quick note too, this is happening um, in Korea as well. It's been noted that the Seoul accent is permeating to boost yeah, interesting. the country. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, you know, what we should do is put out, and I hope put out feelers to all our listeners. If we hear of any of this around the world, I'd be very interested to know what's happening in the UK, which is famous for its really rich diversity of class. Extremely diverse. Extremely diverse accents. accents. Uh, yeah, there's more, there are more accents in, or there were more accents in London than the entire United States of America. So and this was such an important part of 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 literature and culture. So yeah. I think I, I, anyone who has any insight on this that that can we we welcome this discussion because the flattening of accent is obviously due to mass media and social media influence I think for starters we need to be on top of this and not lose all of those resonances that, I mean, think of like, uh, the, I mean, this is something for people of all color. We don't want to lose the New Orleans uh, range no. of 
accents. I mean, my, my I mean, favorite is Atlanta. People from black people from Georgia. It's my favorite American accent. I think it's just beautiful the way they. I won't try to do it. Right. No. 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 <laughs> we don't want to. We don't want to imitate it or also or anything. Just enjoy it. Also, I think uh, in terms of Christopher Walken unique accents i would put you up there with walken your voice is completely distinct i've never heard anybody like it uh it's (laughs) it's this it's this mixture of the bay and australia and it and it blends seamlessly there's no affect to the way that you speak it's it's your voice but it is just like uh uh Whenever I talk to Grant, Grant knows because he knows you pretty well. Um, but yeah, I just I, I think it's I think it's completely <laughs> completely singular. Well, thank, I could just imagine there that you might have had a few jokes at my expense while I was a, away. It's that's very I really appreciate that. I you know I think that is something really interesting, and it ties into the larger uh, topic that uh, I'm leading up to, which I didn't send you any advance notes about because I really, um, well, I wanted just to roll it out in real time the way it happened to me. But I I do wonder about this uh, particular uh, Super Bowl ad. And I think it's emblematic of the larger Super Bowl thing. I noticed that for starters, there was absolutely no Hispanic Latino component. Mm, and I just found that absolutely stunning in a city named Las Vegas. You know, uh, I, I just, I mean, this is the biggest uh, racial cultural minority now in America. I find that absolutely stunning. And I did talk to one of our uh, rising politicians uh, at the the party that that my group played at, and um, she said, you know, this is something that that is really, it's just such an obvious, not talked about crisis in America. The second thing was that building on the uh, the Walken ad. Where do we find heritage and connection anymore when when he's gone? I mean, he's he's much older than I am. You yeah. know? And and you've got to be what in his 80s dying. now? Hmm? Let me look up how old he is. Is he in his 80s? I think he would have to be. Christopher Walken age. Uh he is he looks great. He looks great in the ad, of course, but Oh my goodness gracious! Yeah, he's uh eighty-one, uh, like Joe Biden. Uh, yeah. He's a lot hipper and a lot more flexible of mind. Look but... at the look at the contrast between Christopher Walken and Joe Biden. See, this <laughs> is kind of where it gets a little bit down and dirty and really true to life. I think that this is what we know we need to be thinking about. That, um, and it made me think, you know, Sunny Houston on The View just found out that her ancestors were slaveholders and she got all freaked out and uh, was saying, well, I ain't no white girl. Well, 
I think a really just calm way to respond to that is, I'm sorry, you're three decades away from being any kind of girl. You've been a grown woman for a long time. Don't do this finger wag thing like you're in high Mm-hmm. school, Yeah. you know? Mm. I think that Americans need to, to, to accept they're growing up. Um, I mean, this ties Mm. back to an early theme that you mentioned about Yes. the resistance to, to death, you know? Beautiful. Yeah. No, beautiful. I I I really think you know that there with Americans in particular, if there's one characteristic. That Americans have it is this embarrassing refusal to be grown-ups Yeah. they can't do it they are obsessed with this vampiric urge to adopt like the amount of you know east coast people who started saying y'all all right Oh, y'all I know. But they're Oh. doing it because they're copying Oh. black women, not Oh. Southern people. Well, black women live in the South, obviously, but not like <clears throat> I say it without thinking about it because I grew up in Oklahoma. And so it, it the same as your accent comes out, y'all will come out of my accent. It's completely unadorned. But to see like thick rimmed Coke bottle glasses plaid shirt fake lumberjack Yeah. buttholes from brooklyn saying we need to talk about this y'all go jump in a lake Yeah, that's it just that's nonsense it rings wrong to the ears, you know. I mean the ear hears what the eye can't see in terms of language. And and true we just know the moment that kind of stuff goes, it we just no. It it, it it's a It's a flat note when we need a sharp note. It's a sharp note when we need a flat note. I mean, it's just wrong. And, and no one's pulling that off. And I think that we're, we're at a real crisis point now where we have to kind of, you know, decide how we're going to actually talk. That might be an interesting cultural project. But I wonder with this... Um, Well, what made me sort of sad about the Christopher Walken ad was I realized that there's no one to follow on that. I mean, who would you, I mean, just say you were a creative director and in Mm-hmm. 10 Right. years time, you had to do that kind of heritage ad that everyone will connect with. Who would it be, Adam? I mean, I don't know. There's nobody. There's nobody, really. There's nobody who's got that kind of unique... I was thinking about this... Um, Rios and I were in the hotel at AWP and we were watching uh, Deadpool 2, just a trash movie, you know, something to fill the space before the real interesting activity started, if you know what I mean. And there's no, there's, I mean, Ryan Reynolds, no, not really. Um, they're all just mannequins. I mean, the most interesting... actor in that movie was josh brolin who's great but even josh brolin well actually you know what he might he's got kind of a, a vibe to him for sure um but people my age no I, I, I'm, I hear you. And I really, I, I, I just, I, I, I feel this sense of, 
kind of generational anxiety and guilt about it. I just want something to emerge that has some heritage and has some clout, mm -hmm. uh, some real traction, you know? And I just don't know anybody who's got that. I Sadly, I think that some of the, the people who might have, uh, and, and you'll be able to think of the same actors that, that I'm thinking of, they they died tragically young. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I think that... Heath uh, Ledger maybe would have, maybe. Well, that's what I'm thinking of. That was, yeah. you know, top of mind there. I, I think that I would have liked to have seen what he would have looked like and behaved like as a mature age man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think he'd be what? He'd be more in his... He'd be in his forties now, mm. I think. Um, yeah, he would have been. He would have been interesting. Um, maybe Tom Hardy. Tom oh, Hardy I love Tom. I, Tom Hardy, I think, is actually. Yeah, he might make it. I think he's yeah. really good. Um, I don't like everything he's been in, but I do think that's a good choice. It, is he mm -hmm. American or Australian, or what was his story? He's he's British. He's British. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, um, what's really funny about him is that there was a, uh, a rap album that came out recently by a sort of underground guy called Czar Face, B-Z-A-R Face. <laughs> and, and, and there's a, uh, a guest spot on three of the tracks. Uh, and I can't remember who the rapper's name is, but Internet Sleuths hunted it down. And to hear the rap, he sounds like a Brooklyn rapper, but it's Tom Hardy on these underground rap tracks. <laughs> I love that. Oh, that's so, wonderful, man. That's wonderful. But yeah, oh. his uh, his range and the voices that he does. Um, I mean, I'm thinking of Bane in the third Batman film. And uh, it just, he was great in, did you ever watch The Revenant? The yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio film. Yeah. He was great in that too. Like he always had, brings this kind of off kilter weirdness. Uh, oh, he was great I, in I, Mad I, Max. Yeah, outstanding. And what was that? Um, wasn't he in that uh, show Taboo? Taboo was fantastic. What a great show. I, I wish they had had a second season of that. Yeah, me too. I, I truly believe that if you want to understand <clears throat> the kind of magic that Chris and I talk about, Taboo understood that. Yeah, it no, really, I, I, really nailed the magic. Back. We got to bring that yeah. show back. That was that was really genuinely badass. I I loved mm -hmm. everything about that. I just thought this oh. big hulking dude who was doing, you know, African hoodoo rituals in his Victorian flat you know, sort of like rubbing ash all over his face and conjuring spirits and then going out and being six foot three and just pummeling people into the mud. How can you get better than that? The, the, I, so I, I might go back and watch that. Yeah. Again. Look, yeah. Well, we're going to bring it back. We can, we need to sort of really tune up the fan base here and get that back. Cause that was a wonderful show. I loved everything about it. I mean, he was true, but the set design, everything was everything was on point. Such a group, yeah. The vi yeah. the violence was so well choreographed too, and so brutal. Oh man, great show! That that might be the uh, the spirit show 
of Lost Explorers. If you want to understand what we mean by magic, it's uh it's taboo. But yeah, no, I I I take your point though, in that they're these kind of cultural, I mean, even let's move down the scale from Christopher Walken to somebody like an Eric Roberts. Okay. We don't even have an Eric Roberts right now, I would say. Like you look at like the last thing I saw Eric Roberts in was a music video for the killers. Um, but even he, he's got his own voice and his own presence and his own, you know, deal, right? Johnny Depp mm. was a good one. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of these, uh, a lot of these actors are getting pretty up there and getting really embarrassing too. Like Robert De Niro. I mean, oh, if there's somebody who's oh, destroyed no. his legacy, I mean, like, it's Robert De Niro. I I can't do Bob. Um, mm-hmm. I, I won't call him Robert. Um, mm-hmm. I, I won't. I think I've told the story about Big Sur. Um, I think he's just just tragic. I, I, I'd like mm-hmm. to think that Sean Penn might have a little bit more cool in person still. Um but I don't know. I don't know. I think that the other thing is that they have done this to themselves, be it by yes. constantly speaking outside of character. One of the best things that Bill Maher, I think, has ever said uh, was talking about Daniel Day-Lewis. Mm, mm-hmm. I don't have any idea what he looks like or sounds like outside of his roles. I would never right. know. And right. I think that was really a really great remark. Whereas John Cusack and Rob, you know Bob De Niro, we we just hear about them so often. Uh, Bette Midler, I mean, we don't need to hear their tweets all the time. Um, do you know? Do you know what Daniel Day Lewis does now? No, it's a shoemaker. It's a cobbler. Is he? Oh wow. Uh-huh. Well, mm-hmm. my my left foot, you know. I guess. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's well, uh, he's given up know, acting and become a cop. He was great, by the way, too, in the uh, the Crucible film ab- adaptation. So good, and uh, I mean, there did will you be show blood. that to your it's class. Like, you talked that, right? Uh, okay. I did. I showed them the film. Yeah, um, and uh, there will be blood is just one of my favorite movies of all time. But he's an actor who's been so choosy with what he does he's not in just anything no no and he and he always shows up and just makes the most interesting acting choices i think the crucible is a good example of that actually um, has, he, this, has he ever fallen prey to the any of the big uh <coughs> comic uh book no movies? no nope. nope absolutely not no no he uh well, let's let's look up his filmography here. Because there is only one one actor who is well. I like Tommy Lee Jones. I, I like him too. Yeah. I like Willem Dafoe. Mm-hmm. The male actors mm-hmm. and Tom is it Hiddleston or Hiddleton? Hiddleston. Yeah, I think he's amazing, and I forgive mm-hmm. him being in one of those. Uh, um, I saw he was him in. He was in. Thor. He was in Thor. He was Loki. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, but he was also he was great in uh, the adaptation of High Rise. 
Yes, he was. He was really good in that one. Yeah. yeah. Which, I don't know. I, I, I still think that, that Ballad has not been done properly yet, really. The, I, mo I, the movie the movie falls apart, but he's good at it, at least. Um, High Rise is so hard to do, though, because, you know, in the in the book ballard is so good about allowing you to 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 go with this building's degradation and it's so tactile and it's so building focused it's hard to focus on the characters if you know what i mean right oh i movie, do know exactly you have to do that you know yeah. here's a teaching tip i'll never get to do this but you might <clears throat> and it's a strange uh pairing i love pairings mm -hmm. uh High Rise as a novel with John Cheever's story, The Enormous Radio. Do you know that story? Mm -mm. Well, it, there's people go, there's really not that much connection. Um, both are set in apartment buildings. Um, this is it. The Cheever story was the title track of one of his major short story collections. It's odd. It's a really yeah. odd thing. If you put those together, you would get something. You'd understand what I'm talking about. So Daniel Day-Lewis has been in 31 pictures. We've got, oh, he was great in The Unbearable Lightness of Being. Mm. That was a good one. Uh, the Last of the Mohicans. That might be the closest he's come to uh, commercial work. Um, well, no, that's not true. Gangs um, in New York, right? Gang, gangs of New York, man, he was so fantastic. Yeah. One of the scar scariest villains of all time. In, in an otherwise, I would say, three star movie. He, he, I, he I gave totally that movie another. I thought that I thought he lifted that from the, the the mud of the cobblestone streets of New York. Yes, absolutely. Um, in the name of the Father was a good one. Um, and then there will be blood. He played Lincoln, which I did not see. Uh, and then uh, Phantom Thread, which apparently is good, but I also didn't watch that one. So I didn't see that either. I saw the Ballad of Jack and Rose. Not great. Not great. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a this is quite a career. It really seemed like he just sort of did what he wanted to do, and then dipped. And when he was done, he was done. You don't see that very often. People genuinely retiring from acting just being you know essentially saying i i did it i'm good i'm done i got what i needed out of it um and he's one of these method guys too who is apparently difficult yeah. to be around on set because when he's lincoln he's always lincoln yeah you have to address yeah. him as lincoln yeah <laughs> well you see but you know the to his credit he doesn't seem to make that pretentiousness carry over into the larger world. I mean, I, I, I've i never seen him in a press conference talking about the films. I wouldn't have any idea what he sounds like outside of a role. I don't, I, I believe he's British as well, actually. I think he's Irish, isn't he? I think that- Is he Irish? Okay, well, so. In the Name of the Father makes more sense then. That might be- I, I don't know. Voice. I have no idea. I mean, I'm sure he could do, you know, any accent that he needs to, but- uh, I, I would have absolutely no idea how he presents in real life. He could walk mm -hmm. past my house right now, and I I don't think I'd know him. No. I like that. <laughs> I like that, too. 
I like that too. Um, what do you think of all the conspiracies about the game, about it being rigged and Illuminati symbology? You see this every Super Bowl. You know, you there's there's you the eye um, and the you know people doing hand signals and things like that. Well, I think that um, okay for starters, I think it's good we just keep the focus on this for this show because I've got something really gigantic to bring out uh, soon. But I think that what you've touched on is something that is so um, talked about that we need to talk about it. Um, because I, I've heard this from people, you know, at my shoulder, you know, at the event, you know, and, and around it, watching it. And I, there was a feel to what was going on that was extremely peculiar mm. that you just can't walk away from. I think we should talk first about maybe about the Usher uh, halftime show, which is always a big, you know, moment. I don't really have much you know, feelings one way or another about him. I, I I I like how he moves. I think he's a very graceful uh, dancer. I think he's a masculine man who moves well. But none of that seemed to me anything that Vegas doesn't do every night. You know, I mean, seriously, there is that problem. But there were all sorts of little elements that you think, are you kidding? And I think that one of them was the electric guitar player. Mm. And you start to really, you know, you start to get into a kind of uh, fooling with satanic imagery in an obvious way. I don't think it was done very well. I think it's done to create these kind of conspiracies. I think it's meant for social media fodder. Um, yeah. But there was there were things that that I thought were really didn't need to be there, you know? Mm -hmm. And why does that need to be there when the whole event starting right up front is prefaced by five different sign language people, each of them introduced on a giant speaker system, which is odd, and uh, then you yeah. have the Black National Anthem. Oh, did they do that? I think the combination point? was weird. I we've talked about this in a previous episode. I wonder then why in a city named Las Vegas, there wasn't more of a proud Hispanic Latino element or, or, you know, that's the, that's the, the major uh, racial yeah. in America now. I, I think they were completely excluded. I didn't see any sign of that. Well, because to my mind, black people are American, American black people are Americans and we should all have the same anthem. And when you say, you know, intentionally divisive and uh, you know, it, it exists, it's, it's a, it's a troll basically it is. that's devised it is. by, by rich white people and rich black people yes. to uh, in the same way, the satanic imagery is supposed to get you talking. Things like this are supposed to get you talking and nothing good comes out of it no togetherness happens because of it so the disgusting part of it to me uh i have a real gut visceral reaction to wealthy people who are intentionally baiting the lower classes yes. to separate in any way shape or form we're all americans 
black people are my brothers, white people are my brothers. Let's not do this dividing our anthem by race bullshit. I don't I don't have any patience for it. I don't either. And I think it it does tie into a few other things that kind of I mean, I think why that's a focal point is that it is something that's uh, more easily articulated than some of the other things going on across yeah. the event. The the kind of representation of faces in the ads, um, the I mean, we're getting to a point where there's a kind of uh, frizzy-haired, uh, quasi-black woman who mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. becoming emblematic of individual. If you want to communicate and say something is for you as an individual, you will mm -hmm. show someone like that. And and we know who that, I mean, yeah, there are a lot of people. I, ha I have a couple of students like that. I don't know if they would feel so comfortable being, you know, the emblems of individuality <laughs> today. You know, I'm not so sure about that. I uh, agree. Yeah, that's I agree. And one I part of what's going on, you know? Yeah. And I, I will also say that the kind of, you know, that frizzy Afro kind of mocha look. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> as you said, I mean, it's a real type of person who exists obviously but it's so intentionally non-confrontational and non-diverse that it kind of makes me wonder because like you said where where are all the latinos where are all of the extremely dark-skinned black women in these commercials uh where are all of the extremely white milk toast dudes in these ads and by the way if they are in the ads are they being portrayed as fools are they the butt of a joke or are they actors within the ad itself because i think that um <clears throat> i don't know i really do think that there's a kind of non-intentional casual portrayal of real diversity and race that can be accomplished and what we're constantly getting is this corporate you know who wants to be the frizzy haired mocha chick is those guys in brooklyn that i was talking about <laughs> that's who they see themselves as yeah, that, yeah that's who it's for mocha frizzy girl on yeah it's I not it's not right. for other black it's not for other black people i promise you it's not it's certainly not for latinos not for asian people uh well look what, just, what these people don't realize it's for white people why don't you get like not you but like why don't people get this it's it's literally still for white people as much as white people were for white people back then this sort of sanitized yeah no i think that's love. well said i get what you're saying exactly and i think it's absolutely hilarious about uh, how Asians are being depicted and AI is picking up on this because in fact it is so limited I mean are you kidding me Asian really you're going to present one face 
a male and female version of that as an example? I don't think so. I mean, it, it is so absurdly pandering. <clears throat> I don't know why people want to put up with that. I, I, I just, I can't believe people believe it. Um, and, and once, you know, one of my students uh, who has uh, moved on, graduated, she's got a gig in LA and uh, she works for a market research company that is investigating what people of color think about these representations. Do they buy it or they're going, no, this is like, no, 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 this is wrong. Mm -hmm. People mm -hmm. see what the nonsense is. They do. They see through it. They do. They do. Most normal people see through it. You know who does this really well? Because I've been noticing because Rios has been watching a few BBC shows. Is the BBC? Mm. I think they genuinely do diversity pretty well, and they do diversity not just in skin tone, but in the way their actors look. And by and that, accent, I mean their accent. You know, uh, voices. You know, accents. Yeah, looks. You know, there are some pretty ugly British actors who do who do pretty because their faces look interesting and you want to watch them on TV. Um, so I think I think if you want to look toward an example, like watch Doctor Who. Mm. Doctor Who does a pretty good job in terms of really across the board having a, a, a rainbow of colors but also a rainbow of different body shapes and types. And it's done in such a way, <clears throat> this might be an American thing, where as Americans, we have to call attention to what we're trying to sell you on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it always I has that kind of, that kind of Vaseline goopiness of like, look at our. Diverse yeah. I think there is that. I, 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 I just don't think we're as cool as the Brits in that regard. I think we just can't no. back off the pedal. You know, we can't yeah, back we, off. Yeah. yeah, we can't stop being so chronically lame with everything that we do. That's what it is, right? I mean, I mean, seriously, like, like cut through to the heart of it, what we're talking about is that this shit is just lame. And everybody can tell that it's lame. But it's the slot that we're being given. So, do you want to watch the Super Bowl or not? Well, you know, you're going to watch it. It, it. it it is therapeutic, though. I think it is a tonic, really, to to be able to call it lame as opposed to oppose it politically. I mean, yeah. it's just simply poorly done to the point right. where the pants are dropping out. You know, it yeah. just is embarrassing. You think, no, look, you got to go home. You got to go home and wipe your bum. You know, yeah. you can't walk around <laughs> in public doing this, you know. Right. And if right. we just said that, it's nothing again. You know, it's we don't have to throw any big stones, you know, but there is something desperately lame. And it, yeah. interestingly enough. I think, as you probably you know are aware, lame is one of the politically incorrect words of recent times. So you're already in trouble there, yeah, using yeah. that because you're you're being ableist or disableist or they had know. to get that word out of there because it's the perfect word, yeah, for what they are. And we all know nobody freaking thinks of a lame person, a literally lame person. When you think of lame, you think just. No swag, uncool. Yeah. 
pick pick your term pick your unoffensive term but you know exactly what i mean it's yeah. lame i mean it's it, just it, everyone it sucks <laughs> you don't need a term because it's instinctive it's an immediate human response yeah we're all attuned to this at the cultural level so you you could plug in any term there it doesn't matter you can cancel any term it doesn't matter we still don't want to be that and yet mm -hmm. I think what we're saying is that America has a current tendency to overtry and mm -hmm. is being that at every turn for yes. reasons that are just not working. And then America has the, it goes back to sales. It goes back to us being a country of carnival barkers and, and showmen and, and you know, salesmen basically but our inability to lean into ugliness is bad for all of our art, right? So again, ugly people, ugly speech, uh, uh, things that are just slightly off, we can't do that in America. Everything has to look like a gap ad. If it doesn't look like a gap ad, then it's not okay. And that's why it's so freaking lame because people have known that this shit has been lame since the 80s. And then, thank God, you know, these people got a second wind with wokeness where they can be just as lame as they were being with white people, but now with POC, right? They, it's like they got a new injection of nitrous where they're like, okay, we got another 200 miles on this now because we can do the same boring, dull, glossy, tacky shit. But now we can do it with people of different colors. And nobody's going to find out how much we suck. Well, you know, people are just, I, I think that we, the essential problem with Americans is that we're deeply dishonest people. Mm -hmm. I, I, mm -hmm. I, I said this to, I, I connected with somebody older and uh, we were thinking about various things. And somehow the idea came up of a black car salesman mid 1970s just off lake merritt in oakland mm -hmm. first thought well we were on the same this is and i was talking to a black person brute 33 mm -hmm. aqua velvet cools out in the parking lot mm -hmm. you know and like are we throwing any stones there? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I've sprayed some Brute 33 on me. Uh, I certainly have smoked a cool or two in my time, particularly mm -hmm. with black people. I don't know what the deal is about that, but the, I, the sense was to bring that character, that moment into a sensory focus that mm -hmm. was, uh, well, beyond filmable, you know? Right, right. No, I'm with you. Um, do you want to hear about my We're imaginative ready. We're challenge? Ready. We're all ready. Everybody in the house. <clears throat> all right. So first of all, I think this is a great metaphor for how power is used in general. I do think that this works overall, metaphorically. Uh, <clears throat> so I realize that I have my power. I make somebody poop their pants. I make somebody you know, bark like a dog, etc. And then I realize I can do whatever I want. So the first thing I do 
is I force every COVIDian who I see <laughs> wearing a mask to take oh, their masks no. off. They have to take their masks off and they have to all begin licking toilet seats, public toilet seats. This is the first time I noticed the slow disappearance <laughs> of my family. <laughs> oh. I, I convince myself that since they're not there physically, who gives a shit? I'm the one who's still here. They're the ones who are lost. I have to deal with pain and I want to hurt others. I force Elon Musk to perform a live trepanation on X. I force Jeff Bezos to cut off his arms and put them into prime boxes. Hillary, <laughs> Hillary Clinton puts an entire <laughs> Hillary Clinton puts an entire glass mason jar up her ass. Donald Trump cuts his tan off. As I go on, I notice that my family's pain has become more visceral. I realize that I have pushed them to the edge of the void and that I can't use my powers anymore for fear of losing them forever. And that's when the CIA comes knocking. They want me to use my powers to stop terrorists in countries in which they have interests. I am presented with moral conundrums. Save a bus full of children? No, can't do it. So then what becomes more evil? Sending my family further into the void or sending innocent people to their deaths? Is it bad to work for the CIA if I'm saving people in the process? I decide that these are all questions that are too complicated for me to figure out. So I move to a mountain and begin to use my powers on myself, forcing myself to do things that I wouldn't otherwise do. And as I do that, as I invert the power and begin to do things like exercise and help people and force myself up off the couch when I shouldn't be, you know, when I would rather sleep, <clears throat> I realize that my family begins to come back and I exist in that matrix of pain with them until I die. The end. Wow. Everybody in the whole cell block was dancing to the jailhouse rock. That's really <laughs> a, a beautiful twist on that that I don't think a lot of people would have thought about of, of like, yeah, I mean, this and this speaks to one of the deeper, deeper issues that we've been talking about from the beginning of the hauntedness of mind of like there's you and then there's yourself, you know, it's like, Oh, yeah. really? You know, that's kind of weird. Like how many people yeah. inside that head? Is that, is that really where everybody is, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I like how you really played that. That's a lovely, um, it's kind of a lovely adult fairy tale that you've turned that mm -hmm. into, which is, uh, thank uh, you. I always my hope of something like that, but I think that was really something that a lot of people might not have thought of. So yeah. Wow. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I'm glad you liked it. Do you have a tool and a tip for us today? Yeah, I'm going to roll out a, a kind of a big tool that we're going to have to talk about a few, a few times. I think um, I've been house sitting, dog sitting uh, a, a former federal agent who I turned back to his, owner, manager, handler today, uh, you know, a seriously professionally trained FBI dog. 
and it was the first time I've had a real interaction with uh, a canine in some time, and uh, they've been just such a major part of my whole life. And part of, of, of what that connection has done, in addition to really just sparking 15,000 of the best words I think I've ever written, Uh, it's closed off the the book that I'm calling the near distance. I, I, we've talked about this on the show, mm -hmm. my mm -hmm. memory as alertness book. And of course, connection with animals is really important, but here's the thing that I think that a lot of people could understand. The indigenous Australians, and we've talked about them many times on the show, they're considered the oldest continuous population in the world. We've now blown their timeline out to about 125,000 years, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, they're old. They're ancient people. Uh, they attribute language to the appearance of the dingo. Northern Thailand wolves, highly adaptive Uh, right where the, the jungles of Thailand become the steppes of, of Central Asia is where the dingo is from. They came down on reed boats with traders and pirates. But we know the dingo emerged in the Southern Hemisphere about six or 12,000 years. So there's a time frame. Mm -hmm. We don't have to get those numbers exactly right. But just say, let's do 100,000 and 10,000. You've mm -hmm. got a problem. Like, what were the Australian Aborigine, what was the language thing before the arrival of this mythic dog figure? I have personally been in arguments with, well, one of the most famous bark painting elders, now passed, and... Mm -hmm. It was, it was terribly frustrating because I thought, wait a minute, I really understand mythic thinking. I don't want to sound like an asshole, logical, you know, Westerner, but I really just didn't get how it worked. And I thought, well, I, I felt there was something I was missing that was not right because they were saying something I wasn't hearing properly. So I went back in my mind and uh, this recent dog sitting experience made me think of the first moment that I experienced the dingo in my life. My mm. ex-wife rescued her. I, without any prompting, I just, without, I couldn't help myself. I went, mm. Mm. You know, and I don't know where I got that from. And I, it would take different forms. It might have different bodily gestures to it. It's a word that begins with both an O and a W. It means a whole bunch of things, you know, from I see you, do you want to play? You know, it, it, it meant a ton of different things. And it's one of the real problems with linguistics because non-word non-denotative vocalizations are mm -hmm. very hard to transcribe. Any way I transcribe that word is not really fair to what it sounded to me or to the dog. And then I was thinking, where did that come from? 
I mean, I'd never heard that before then. The dog kind of gave it to me. And it really means a whole bunch of things. And I, I realized that what it does mean is a, a chemical release of good stuff in my brain. It's about serotonin. It's about endorphins. It's about dopamine. It's, it's about an uplift of language. And my, my, my theory right now is what the, the indigenous Australians meant was not they didn't have a language before the dogs arrived, but that the dog presence changed the sociology. Yes. And introduced right. a level of fun into the mm -hmm. language that was not just functional. And I think that that is a really, I'm, I'm beginning to flesh this out in a way that, um, I mean, there is work on this in terms of female vocalization with sex. There's work on this in terms of vocalization that's non-word in pop song. But we don't have a lot of talking about uh, dogs uh, and children. We have baby talk ideas. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm no. talking about somehow rediscovering a way of language being reinforcing and magically fun to say. Does that make any sense at all? It does. I took, okay, so the idea of language being magically fun to say, I think is very important because it's an emblematic argument, first of all. Uh, but something you said that is sticking with me is that language was given to you. Mm. And I wonder how far that rabbit hole goes. Mm. The, the dingo gave you that sound. Mm. But how much of the things that we say in converse, would I be speaking this way if I was not communicating with Chris Sacknessum over Zoom right now? We're giving each other. So who's the speaker? At that oh, point. David, that is a beautiful extension. Everything is contextual. Reality cannot be repeated. Everything is a kind yeah. of conversation. Yeah. Who's the speaker? When I'm yeah. speaking to Gus, yeah. yeah. I mean, because I know what it's like to speak to myself. I do it all the time when I'm by myself and and, and talking. I know what that voice sounds like, and I know the topics of conversation we most frequently circle back to. <laughs> but that's not what I talk. And <clears throat> the sort of basic, boring idea is that you, whoever that is, is adjusting their speech based on who they're talking about. No, 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 no. You're being given speech. Mm -hmm. This is where we're getting we're getting on to something. I really hope listeners hear this. This is a really beautiful uh, riff, David. Thank you for this because it's obviously like huge in my mind. Trying to bring uh, a book and 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 thirty years of of work to some fruition. I I think that's a really really major insight. I I, I it's such a big thought. Um, we're gonna have to peel that open a few times i think that's that's a, a peel that's that onion 
Well, it's a big lizard. It's a big lizard for one fire, I think. You know, it really is. Yeah. It's it's uh it's a really cool thought about and the reason why it is so important is that we are trapped in worlds of preconditioned, pre-digested language and thought that we don't yeah. feel we have any possible mechanisms yeah. of escape. And, and what we're trying to do in the show is offer some, a little bit of remedial therapy in that regard. Just, you know, just some helpful hints, you know, not saying we're solving the problem, but in the end, language is, is the core issue. That is the, the matrix, the system web we're all trapped in and no one can argue against that. Absolutely. Yeah. No, you can't argue against that. It makes me wonder if those guys in Brooklyn, they're, they're literally horses for the Loa that is Beyonce or whoever's speaking through them Yeah, right now. I mean, they're not speaking. That's not them. But then you realize that it's never really you who's talking. I've thought this before, too, because when you and I have these conversations, they're so interesting and they're so involved. And then I turn off my computer and it's right back to, I got to brush my teeth. I got to do the dishes. Mm. The, the person who's talking right now is not the person who I live with yeah. <laughs> most of the week. You, you feel what I'm saying? Like I do. I do. The person, I do. The, the person who I am when I'm talking to Kelby or a guest on Agitator is not the person who I live with, the person who I talk to when I talk to Rios or my students. Or... So where is that guy? Mm. And why doesn't he speak up when he's talking to other people? <laughs> well, this is the thing that if we can just ask these questions, honestly, mm -hmm. have a little bit of humor and self-reflection, uh, not beat ourselves up about it, but just look at maybe some other possibilities uh, maybe we can, I don't know, do something, get some flexibility that we, we didn't think that we had, you know? And my dog passed away about six months ago and I had a language for her. Mm. And I wonder if when someone who you care about passes away like that, if it's not like that vector for your own speech has disappeared Mm. And that's a part of the loss that you're that you're feeling. Well, that's certainly been very hard on my mind because I, I did have a language for the dingo. I had a language for the mastiff. Uh, I, I felt a need. Uh, there was a character presentation in the world of my deep soul that lost a stage. Character and presentation of your deep soul is a beautiful phrase. That's it. That's all speech, isn't it? Yeah. A, char a character presentation is, of your deep soul. I think Ooh. that is what it is, you know? Ooh, I like that. That's yeah. good. What is your tip for us today? My tip is to uh, keep watching small things like hummingbirds and ants. And I mean, this is an ancient, ancient idea, but I think that it's so easy to hive ourselves into 
a certain sphere or realm of, of existence. And we forget the totality. And I think that if you could just choose one or two creatures, we've just been talking about dogs, but have a look at anything in your life that is not human, that's not controllable, and, to, and really pay attention to it. What are they doing? I mean, this is really fundamental. Um, the idea in, uh, well, the key parts of the world that I've, you know, New Guinea and, and the Solomon Islands is know what the ants are doing. I mean, that's a major idea in Africa and South America, but they really take that seriously of just like, what's going on? What are they doing? Yeah. And yeah. I think that when we, if we want to be alone, and alienated uh we can be <laughs> uh if we want to feel connected and more part of a larger universe we can do that too we can be absolutely no i've been feeling this uh, it has been colonized by the self-help gurus of the world that what you think becomes your reality but that doesn't make it any less true no, I mean it is it, it is what it is. I um I had a dream a few days ago during a nap. I've been having nap dreams lately, night dreams too. Oh, that's good. That's interesting. But uh, but really intense nap dreams. I think that when we got into Kansas City the first night, it was so late, and we got so little sleep that those three days are sort of a fugue and i had a dream back home on sunday during a nap uh, where i had been my work had been translated into japanese and i was in a big japanese supermarket and there was a glossy magazine so weird <laughs> yeah there was a glossy magazine that had a story of mine in it. All the, you know, in kanji, not in Roman alphabet. Right. right. Um, and I basically was in there and somebody stole all the magazines and my phone and my car. And I had to wander outside of the supermarket into the forest where I encountered several Shinto gates. And then I woke up. Hmm. thought that was interesting. Don't know what it well, was. How about you? What oh, do you? Sorry. Well, what do you think of... Well, I mean, that's a pretty deep Japanese... Oh, okay, for one thing, um, how regularly does the Japanese uh, element, motif... Uh, background cultural background permeate your dreams uh obviously i think all listeners probably would know that david does a show with kelby uh about japanese culture so it's not surprising but how often does that really get into the dream down to the the gravel level infrequently mm. very infrequently in fact i'm glad you asked me that because as i think about it that might be the first Japanese coded dream that I've had in recent memory. 
there aren't very many. Well, this is again, you know, I keep saying to people, it's very difficult to record your dreams. I have to use three different mechanisms, uh, my phone with notes, my phone with voice record, uh, two different kinds of notebooks. And I still, I lose so much material every night. I mean, I feel like, you know, but I think the effort is, is worth it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's, it is very, very difficult. I mean, I use, I drove one of my wives completely crazy with this. Um, it's hard. It's hard to do. But I think it's important psychologically to somehow track however you do it, um, at least major changes, dreaming changes. I've had a, a, an art direction change over the last month. It's like a different creative team has come on board. I don't know how, how integrated they are. I don't think it's a really cohesive unit because it's a little bit of weird, but it's a dramatic shift from mm -hmm. what was mm -hmm. going on, say, you know, pre-Christmas. And I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I believe in the sacredness of dreams and I believe in the effort to try to find some of their secret, I think that at minimum, they are clues to deep associative algorithmic patterns within our own psyches that link us to each other and to culture. And they are not the isolated, private, intimate things they appear to be. I think that's the beautiful, weird thing. As we were saying earlier, you know, who's really talking? Who gave you the language? Where, you know... We, we all want to be this individual thing. And mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't hold up to any scrutiny at all, you know? No. Would you like to hear some of my journal? My yeah. dream journal? Uh, did I tell you about... I might have told you this one already, but I know I didn't tell you the other ones. Um, driving around a rainy town on the eastern seaboard, looking... I did tell you about this. Looking for traffic lights that are too bulky. I, I I told you about like big, hefty. I'll, I'll just tell you the dream again for listeners. Yeah, do it you, again. You, I'm not sure you did, David. I mean, I want to hear a little bit more. I mean, that kind of brings the bell, and it kind of doesn't. So hit it. All right. Uh, driving around a rainy town on the eastern seaboard, I'm looking for trap big, bulky traffic lights suspended from the cross point of two thick wires, and I'm looking for their batteries, and their batteries look like a phone. Mm. Uh, I'm pushing through a tunnel past students to bring a wrapped up angel picture okay, to a yeah. snowy, brutalist city. You remember this now, yeah? Uh, at the bottom of a steep valley, I'm delivering it to my stepmother who is going through the photo albums with Rios. Next dream, a Jurassic Park theme park in Japan. Okay, so Japan was in there. Uh, giant fake redwood tree with a gas station sign called Shrine. <laughs> with uh it, it apparently it had a little green chili next to it animatronic dinosaurs poking out of ferns it's called shrines because it's next to a cracked tory gate oh okay now that i'm going back oh look at that hey hey we got that came up of its own yep yep That's we got some redwoods and then uh my grandmother who shows up in my dreams a lot. We were very close. Um, mm. 
Grandma came to visit during afternoon nap dream, told me the boat would be fine now, and that uh, the, the, the vicious tide was over. Also, some kind of missing capsule apartment or something. So apparently an entire capsule, one of those little, you know what I mean? Those capsule hotels just vanished from a hotel. But yeah, so that's been my dream journal recently. So there was a Japan reference yeah, before the dream that I talked well, about, I, look, which I, I didn't remember until I opened my journal, which is why it's important to keep journals. This is the thing. Thank you for sharing that and reminding all of us that, that you know, all we're, doing, all we're trying to do is find some clues, you know? We're all mysterious to each other, you know? I mean, we are the mysterious strangers. You don't yeah. have to walk down the street and meet anyone. You are that, you know? And our best hope of finding some truth, or a little, yeah. I don't know, maybe not even truth, just some hints about what's going on, is keeping some good notes, having some records, having some artifactual details to refer to once we're into another dream segment, you know, that's the yep. thing. I enjoyed that's that a lot. I am. Um, I think there's, uh, I, I kept thinking of the, the big light, you know, the, those on kind of uh, really heavy duty uh, cords or wires, kind of a David Lynch thing, you know, mm -hmm. at the crossroads, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I think mm -hmm. that I may, I may be mistaken, but I I don't think I am. I think we've had some angel stuff working your its way through your mm. conversation over the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 episodes. I mean, it, it's an odd thing. I, I, I hear it more. I, you know, I do. Yeah, I do like that. Um now I'm interested to go dream some more. <laughs> get a bit lucid with it and yeah, be able to go. move around a bit there more. There you go. Well, well, have a thought. You know, this is another thing that people could do is there's no harm in a little bit of meditation before mm -hmm. sleep. And you can do this in the midst of sex, too. You can just have one thought, one idea, one image that you might take through the, the barrier into the dream mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. See if you can take it with you. That's all. Just try. It's really hard for me to think about anything during sex. I get very focused on body parts. <laughs> well, yeah, I hear that. I think that's absolutely right. But but I, I don't know. Invert that a little bit and think mm. for a moment of, of what that means. I mean, well, I don't. I disagree. I think you're taking angels. I think you're doing mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff. I think, you're, you know, mm -hmm. no, I think there's a lot of stoplights, green lights. I No, no, no. I no. agree. I, I agree. I'm with it. you. I'm with you. I'm vibing. I'm vibing with it. Um, did you have any dreams before we sign off? I think that's a really good place to stop. I, I, um, I do want to talk more about in next episode about this vocalization, <clears throat> of the non-denotative word. Yes. And... Yeah. Uh, moving our focus from verb, from from noun forms, sorry, to verb forms across language, and mm -hmm. what that means to things like dreaming, our sex lives, all of our whole stuff. 
Very interesting that you used non-denotative there too. I'll let listeners think about what I mean. Yeah. But that's an interesting word choice because it is in the negative. It's it's an anti. Yeah. So and and we're always very attentive to negative, you know, negation. We're concerned mm-hmm. about that. I thank you. I did actually, you know, I I I said that as I meant it, you know, and it is yep. weird. Yep. Said it with his chest, all ten toes down. All right, everybody. Thank you for Thanks. listening. Be safe, be and well, we be will. warm. And we will talk to you next time. Okay, man. That was really fun.